I want to thank you guys for sending me out as your pastor and allowing me to go and to preach the gospel in other parts of the world, other parts of the U.S. This past week, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, I was there at a Baptist church, actually, and um, gave three messages over the course of two days. And a few others uh, were there as well with uh, Global Awakening. I don't know if you guys know Randy Clark's ministry of Global Awakening. And just had an absolute blast there with those guys. I got to be honest, it was probably some of the most powerful, um, how should I say, it? like one of the most powerful spiritual environments that I think I've ever ministered in uh, this past week. Yeah, it, that, which it, it's saying a lot. I mean, we, we, we've been to Pimba. We've been with Mama Heidi. We've seen some great things happen here. Um, but guys, I don't know how to describe how the presence of God filled this church in such a profound way. People were actually being spontaneously healed without anybody praying for them or laying hands on them. There was a, yeah, it was, it was so wild. I was preaching uh, it, during the second service. And a woman came up afterwards and she said, hey, um, I had to come up and tell you during your message, I was healed. And I said, oh, well, that's great. You know, and I'm kind of thinking, what was she healed of? Maybe like a headache or a hangnail or, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be like something big or huge or anything like that. And uh, she was like, no, check this out. And so she, she took her shoes off and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And uh, so she sits down and she's like, look at this, look at this. And she starts moving her foot around. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I had no context. And uh, she said, well, you see this left foot right here. I had three dead bones in my foot. The bones have actually died. The doctor was going to take these bones out of my foot on Thursday and replace them with something else. I had no range of motion. I've been in constant pain for three years. And just in the midst of the message, like Jesus healed me and I have my full range of motion has been restored and I have no pain at all in my foot. And I feel like the bones have come back to life. I was like, <laughs> praise God. She was like, well, I thought you'd want to know it was during your message. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I take no credit for that. Okay. Jesus just, he loves you so much that he thought that would be the best time to heal you for whatever reason. So you're healed. Good job. Way to go. This is awesome. You know, so um, I want you guys to know that like when you send me out, when we go, uh, my wife and I and some friends and I, when we go and we preach, like some amazing things are happening there. And every single time I'm bringing them back to the family and we're sharing in the spoil of what God's doing around the world. And I want you guys to know that when I'm not here, I miss you guys. And when I come back, I'm like, ah, family, community. I think it's so good to have a family where people know you for you and they also know your stuff. You know what I mean by stuff? Like they know your struggles. Like they know the things that make you human, not just traveling around preaching and, you know, coming in as a hired gun. Like, look at my relationship with God. I'm awesome. You know, like it's good to have family to where you can come back. And so I that's why I never miss Sundays. Like, I tell these guys when they invite me, hey, I cannot stay. Saturday, my sessions are done. Like, I'm not going to preach anymore on Saturday night. I got to go home because I want to be with my family. And they're like, all right, cool. You know, but that's important to me. So I just, I want you guys to know that um, I love you guys. And I think you're all amazing. I think you're awesome. So if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture here. 
verse 9 through 13. And we'll put it on the screen so we can read it out together. You can open it up in your app or your Bible. 1 Kings uh, 19, verses 9 through 13. You guys will probably remember what's happening here in the Word of God because this is about the prophet Elijah. And uh, we all love the story of the prophet Elijah where he challenges the 450 prophets of Baal. And God, Yahweh, responds with fire and consumes the sacrifice as he challenges the devil. I mean, that's just, a, that's just an awesome story. It's an epic story. It should be a movie. I read it. You know, I feel manly. Ah, it's great. You know, so this is happening just after that, okay? So Elijah, he's retreated to the wilderness, and we pick up here. He says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Doesn't this kind of sound like Moses' encounter that we talked about in week one of Glory and Wonder? Right? It's very similar. And the Lord passed by in the same way like he passed by Moses. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That is a spectacular sight, right? Tore the mountains. That's some power right there. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Everybody say fire. As charismatics, we love to say fire. You know, it's just one of our words. We, lo- we pray over people. We do fire tunnels. You know, fire, right? And so we see that um, <coughs> after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Go ahead and go to the next slide because this is in the, um, oh, no, verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? All right. So verse 12 in the King James Version says it like this. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Everybody say those last three words together. A still, small voice. All right, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word that never changes. God, we thank you that you are the great agent of change, but you never change. So, Lord, we just thank you that your transforming grace is here this morning, and we intend on being transformed by your word, by your grace, by your power. We say that we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you guys from the subject today from consuming to contemplating, all right? From consuming to contemplating. If you're like me, you're probably an avid consumer. I want to give you guys sort of a picture of what it looks like to consume regularly through my life, all right? So I am an iPhone addict. I have an Apple Watch that's constantly attached to my body that gives me 
up to date, up to minute, notifications, the Wall Street Journal, you know, I get the stocks, I get the headlines. I mean, everything's happening right here. That's, I don't even know how healthy that is, but it's happening, right? I got technology strapped to my arm, right? And so for me, like, here's basically what my day looked like up until about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. But here's what my day looked like. So I would wake up in the morning, and as soon as I got up, before I, you know, wiped the sleep out of my eyes, I'd reach over and I'd grab my iPhone. Now, how many of you guys, that's your routine as well, right? A lot of us, probably. Oh, just three of you guys? Yeah, I know better than that. So, um, you know, and the first thing I do is I scroll over, you know, and I hit Instagram. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to look at Instagram. So then I'm like thumbing through. And before I know it, I've spent like 30 minutes on Instagram lying in the bed. Can I get any amens, right? You know what I'm talking about. And so you spend like 30 minutes and you're like, oh, Instagram's up. You know, I've, I've jumped through the hashtags. I've looked at my friends. You know, I've, I'm, maybe you're already frustrated or jealous or upset. You know, that's one of the reasons why I don't look at Instagram first thing in the day because it just sometimes frustrates me, you know? And so I'm like, oh, and then you jump over to Facebook and then you jump over to Twitter and then you jump over to your text or maybe you send some text and then you check out your email Am I the only person that does this, right? And so you got 40, 40, 45 minutes in bed looking at your phone. You get up, and this, this is for me, this is my routine. I get up, you know, I go make some coffee, you know, I have my coffee, and then I get on my laptop because I read my Bible on my laptop, and I use that for my reading plan. And then once I finish reading the Bible on my laptop, you know, I do a short prayer, and then I grab my phone again because, you know, there's probably some notifications that have popped up in the last 20 minutes and that I need to see because they're very important, and I would never want to miss them. So I go back to Instagram, and then I drag it down, and I refresh, and then I scroll through until I get to the pictures that I've already seen before. And then now Instagram has stories, so I have to watch all the updated stories of the people eating breakfast. And then so, you know, I watch all those, and then, you know, and then I flip over, I look at Twitter again, and then Facebook again, and then, you know, I set my phone down, and you know, I got to get ready for work. Maybe I've eaten breakfast. So I'm, I'm dressed and I'm out the door. And just before I hop in the truck, I plug in my headphones, I put them in my ears and I start listening to a podcast because I don't want to waste any time on the road of being silent or quiet. You know, I need to learn something. After all, you know, I'm a pastor. I have responsibilities. I want to grow, you know. So I throw in the, the, ear, the earbuds, you know. I'm listening to a podcast and, and you know, wherever, wherever I'm going. And then I get there and, and uh, you know, I get to work and then I work all day on my laptop. And the entire time on my laptop, even I get notifications on my Mac that says, somebody's tagged you on Facebook. Somebody tagged you on Twitter. You guys get those? Man, you got to turn those things off. They will distract you all day. And so I work on my laptop, you know, and then once I'm finished with that, maybe I take some phone calls. Maybe I respond to some phone calls. Maybe I listen to a few voicemails, some text messages, something like that. But then whenever I'm leaving, you know what I do? I pop the earbuds right back in, then I listen to music. I'm on my way to the gym, and I need to get fired up, you know? So I, I listen to some hip-hop, and, you know, I'm getting pumped. I'm getting ready to, you know, lift some weights. I'm excited, you know? And then I leave there, and then I go back to the podcast. And then whenever I get home, you know, my kids are happy to see me, and that's good. I say hello to them and everything. Ah, oh, sit down. I'm tired. First thing I do, pull out the phone. You got to refresh, and, you know, you got to check out what's going on. And then, you know, once the kids go to bed, then we're going to watch Netflix or Hulu or, you know, This Is Us, because we all know that's the best show on television. And um, so, you know, we, we, we watch that show. And the whole time the show's on, you know, we are focused on the show, but at the same time, 
the phone has never left my hand, you know, just scrolling through. There might be an update. I don't want to miss anything important. You know, read a few blogs, read a few headlines. And then at the end of the night, when it's all said and done and it's time to go to bed, I say, man, I am tired. I am feeling exhausted. I really should go to bed. Lay down and my head hits the pillow and say, you know, but before I go to sleep, I might want to check and make sure that there's nothing else that has happened today that I, you might need to read or be inspired by or motivated by. And so, you know, I open up the phone and I flip through the phone until I get beyond tired. And then I finally close my eyes, put the phone, just I go to sleep. So <laughs> this, to be honest with you guys, this has been my routine for a number of years. And so I'm not sure if it's been yours. Maybe it has been. Maybe it's not. And, 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 and that's okay if it has been. I'm not saying any of this to shame you. That's not my point. But I think that for most of us, this is normal. You know, I looked up the stats online. Americans these days typically spend about five hours a day on their cell phones. About five hours. And some people would say that that is uh, actually low. But if you look at it as five hours, I mean, that's roughly one-third of our waking hours wow. that we're actually on our phones. One-third uh, we're on the phone. And uh, if we're not on the phone, we are usually in the presence of a screen of some sort. You know, there's a TV here. There's a laptop there. You know, maybe there's an iPad there. And so we're constantly bombarded by both news and noise because everything going on in our world is competing for our attention. And so as a result, our culture today, as Americans today, we've become consumers and definitely not contemplators. Amen? We don't, we're not very comfortable with contemplation. You know, we've become very comfortable with uh, consumption. And um, there's these things that are constantly competing for our attention. It's asking us, hey, read this, click here, buy this now. I mean, even when you're reading a blog or something like that, it's like the box pops up. And they got an X that's so small. There's no, you'd have to have like baby fingers to click the X. You have to use your pinky to click the X. Isn't that so annoying? Whatever that is, I'm like, I will never buy your stuff now just for the inconvenience of putting that baby X up there. You know? I'm like, I am mad at you now. You know? Anybody else, you, know, you, you guys have that experience, right? Well, guys, this is normal. Honestly, this is normal for us as Americans in this generation, and I want you to know it's not going to change anytime soon. In fact, it's probably going to continue to get worse. I mean, I've already heard people predicting what the future is going to be like 15, 20 years with contact lenses and VR. I've been hearing people talk about that. And so just this constant life of being plugged in, being bombarded by both news and noise. And the problem with this is it's caused us to feel very uncomfortable spending any time by ourselves, and it's caused us to feel even more uncomfortable spending time with God. And I know that, you know, people may say, oh, you know, no, 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 Lyle, that's not true. I like to spend time alone. Uh, but how many of you would admit to the fact that when you do get just a few minutes to yourself before you're left to your own thoughts or before you're left to an opportunity to pray and, and converse with God, you pull out the phone? 
because you start to feel uncomfortable. This is weird. There's no noise going on. I need to get my phone out. I need to check, you know, social media. Or maybe if I've done that already, I need to text like three or four of my friends, at least until, until somebody responds to me because I don't feel very comfortable. We may not be aware of it, but the truth is we're not that comfortable spending time with ourselves. We're not that comfortable spending time alone with God. Oftentimes, we don't want to be left alone because we're left alone to our thoughts, our own thoughts. We're left alone to what's going on on the inside. And we may want to stay away from people, but the purpose of getting alone is rarely to examine ourselves. The purpose of being alone is rarely to look at our lives and consider how we're living. It's rare that we get alone and we say, you know what, I'm just going to go on a date with Jesus. I'm not going to let any distractions in. I'm not going to let any news bother me. I'm going to turn off the noise and I'm simply going to listen to him. We're so busy today, or at least we convince ourselves that we're so busy today. In the same way that I laid in my bed for 40 minutes and looked at social media, I would convince myself, I don't really have that much time to pray. You know, I am busy. And yet, you know, there I am in the bed for 40 minutes looking at Instagram, right? Some people tell me, oh, there is no way I have any time to pray, Lyle. I'm just too maxed. I'm like, your Netflix browsing history has determined that is a lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's not true, right? But we convince ourselves of that, and we say we have no time to pray. And then when we do pray, it's mostly just very short-winded, quick request. God, help me with this. God, help me with that. God, can you please bless this? You know, we're pulling into the grocery store. God, help me find a good parking spot. God, help me find a good deal today when I shop online. God, help me. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, we put in these quick requests. Hey, you know, please, God, help us. And I understand this. You may not think I understand this because I'm a pastor and after all, I get paid to pray, or at least that's what a lot of people might think, you know, and that you would think, oh, you don't struggle with this at all, Lyle. You know, you have all this time in the world. You have plenty of time. You can sit around with the Lord. But I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys and let you know that getting alone and spending alone time with God is a struggle for me, too. Present tense, right now, today, this Sunday, I struggle with the same thing you struggle with, which is getting alone and spending alone time with God and doing more than just putting my request in. I also wrestle with that. And I think the reason is because in America, we have been conditioned to be consumers and not to be contemplators. We're not comfortable with contemplation. We're all about constant consuming. And I know that this is probably a challenge um, for, for us all. And as a leader, to be honest with you guys, I am bombarded by communications. People have, I'm sure there's somebody in here right now because it's just probably a result of the averages that has texted me that I haven't texted you back. And I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I have 112 unanswered text messages right now. It is not uncommon for me to be texted by at least 30 people a day. That is not uncommon. I know some people like, you're like, oh, I can't deal with that bubble. I can't deal with that. I just have to give up. Honestly, that's where I'm at. Okay, that's where I'm at in life. I'm very sorry. Okay, um, you know, if you want to get in touch with me, DM me on Instagram. I'm more likely to see that than the text message. <laughs> that's kind of sad, but true. Um, but you guys, you guys understand the point. I know you probably have the same experience. Sometimes it's, it's, it's very difficult to get away from the noise, you know. And, and the problem with prayer, if I could say it like that, the problem with prayer 
is this. The reason why we don't pray is because there's no predictable ROI, return on investment. You, you can't predict the return on investment with prayer. We know that what we sow, we're going to reap, but when are we going to reap anything? Well, if I pray, what is it going to get me? If I pray, yeah, I might be sowing in the spirit, but when am I going to reap in the natural? Well, I'm tired of praying. I haven't seen anything that I've prayed for happen in years. I'm sick of that. You know what? I'm just going to abandon that. I'm going to give up on that. I'm going to put in quick requests to God, but there's no way that the benefit of prayer can be proven in my life. Look at me after all. And I know what that's like. I know what that feels like. After all, we only have so much time. Is it really worth your time to spend an hour in prayer? Is it really worth your time to spend 20 minutes getting quiet, getting alone, contemplating, being by yourself, turning off the noise, beginning to talk to God, contemplating? Guys, it's very easy to pray when our prayers are being answered on our terms and our time limits. It's easy to pray at that point. But what happens when prayer doesn't seem to be getting us anything? Do we quit praying? We all know the religious answer to that question. We all know that we're not supposed to quit praying even when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. But the reality is we give up far too easy and far too often. Is it really worth it? Come on, man. I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't want to just sit around. I'm busy. You know, I got responsibilities, man. I got goals. I got ambitions. I got aspirations. You know, after all, if I sit around here, you know, looking like I'm meditating on a, you know, carpet or something, what am I doing? You know, this is silly. I can't achieve all those things I see other people doing on their Instagram. If I'm sitting here in my living room praying, nice. contemplate, I got to get out there and hustle. I got to grind, you know? Really, it's constant. It's, it's a constant provoking saying you're not doing enough. Wow. You, you have not done enough. You have not achieved enough today. You have not accomplished enough today. You know, and the very thing that takes us away from God is the very thing we keep running back to because it's the very thing that keeps us at bay from our actual thoughts and emotions and really what's in our heart, which is the phone, which is the distraction, which is the noise, which is the clutter. Right. And we're like, oh, I got to go back to that. Because even though it might not be best for me, it at least eases my pain temporarily. And we all know that prayer and praise in the presence of God has the ability to take away our pain permanently. But man, we can't predict when that's going to happen. So might as well go the safe route and at least get a temporary fix. Turn on the news, turn on the noise, turn on the phone. We're great at consuming, not great at contemplating. So what's the purpose of prayer? You know, what is the purpose of prayer? You ever thought about that? What's the purpose of prayer? Why would we even pray? Is the purpose of prayer to get God to do what we want him to do? That's I want you guys to ask yourself that question critically today. Is the purpose of prayer to get God to do what you want him to do? I would say in the American context, this is the way that we are shaped. Is that we pray so that we can get God to do what we want him to do. That's, that's why we pray for the most part, right? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much true, you know? And um, how many of you guys were at the prayer school with Pastor Brian Zahn? I know it wasn't much of us, but I want to borrow a line from him because he talks about the purpose of prayer, which I think is really awesome. It's the primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed. And when, when I first heard that from Pastor Brian, I thought, 
what? Mm -mm. Like that seems off. You know, what does that even mean? The primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed? Like no way. Like, I don't think that's true at all. But when you, look at that, when you look at that definition through the lens of consumerism, it will feel very off. But when you look at that through the lens of contemplation and you consider it for a little bit and you sit with God and think about it, then you start to realize, actually, that is much more the reason for prayer than to get God to do what I want him to do. A lot of times we pray so that we can get God on the right team, so that we can make sure that God's on our side. So that we can make sure that when the going gets tough, that we find favor with him and that he'll do what we need him to do when we need his help. But see, that's the same thing that Hindus do when they pray to their idols. Because they're, I've been a missionary to India. They're so afraid that God's not going to have favor on them that they spend hours in front of the statue praying for God to get on the right team. And I think a lot of times in our context, we pray in the very same way. It's to a different God, but nonetheless, it's still very similar to idolatry because we don't treat God like a friend. We don't treat God like a bridegroom. We treat God like some, you know, deity in the sky that if we don't appease him, he is going to let us get into some trouble and hurt ourselves. I mean, is this, is this, does it feel true at all to, to us? I mean, at least in our American context, you know, because prayer forms us. How many of you guys know that what you behold, you become? That's a, that's a great saying, and we all know that, you know. So whatever we look at continually, we become like. And when we, how do you look at God? How do you see God? You do that in the place of prayer. How, how do you behold God? How do you look at God's glory? You do that in the place of prayer. And so if we're not praying properly, guess what? We're going to be formed improperly. If we don't know the reason for prayer, if we don't know the purpose of prayer, if we, if we, if we can't understand the ROI of prayer, what's the purpose of this? Then we'll be formed improperly even when we do pray. So in the American context, you know, I've grown up in church. I've been a pastor and a preacher now for 11 years. I think it's safe to say that I can, I know at least a little bit about the American context of church. And I see that we are shaped or formed primarily by three types of prayers. All right. And so I'm, I'm going to go for this. You guys can tell me what you think. Uh, the first one is acquisitive prayers. Right. We pray and we talk to God so that we can acquire. Right. We treat God like Amazon. One click. Boom. I need that. Boom. Got to have that. Boom. God, can you give me that? You know what I'm saying? We've all been there. We've all done it. I've done it. You know, I don't have time to pray for much more than that after all. You know, we, we, we pray acquisitive prayers. The second one is we pray arrogant prayers. You know, that if God would just listen to us, then the world would be whipped into shape. You know what I'm saying? Because we know how things should be ran. You know, so that, you know, I think of some of the prayer meetings I've been in where, you know, you got a 17 year old kid that's like, Binding everything that moves and loosing and speaking to God about the nations. And, you know, it's like as if the 17-year-old knows how God ought to run the world. You know what I'm saying? It, arrogant prayers, thinking that we should tell God how to do everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the last one is angry prayers. Angry prayers. We're mad. We're frustrated. We're intense with God. And we're angry about other people doing stuff to us or God not doing what we want him to do, so we pray angry prayers. So depending upon how we pray will depend upon how we are formed. 
If we pray angry prayers, guess what kind of prayer person you're going to be? An angry person. If you pray angry prayers constantly, you're going to be an angry Christian. If you pray acquisitive prayers constantly, you're going to be an acquisitive Christian. And you're going to think that the purpose of your faith is to get stuff. Because you're blessed and you're highly favored. And after all, you are a son and you are a daughter and you should get all this stuff. And if you don't, well, then, you know, obviously you're in spiritual warfare. And then we pray the arrogant prayers. We switch over. And if we constantly pray arrogant prayers, guess what kind of Christian you're going to be? You're going to be an arrogant Christian, right? And all this is, it has its basis in reaction, where we react. Wow, I react. Something happened to me and I reacted to it. You know, I'm, I'm mad, I'm upset. The world is going to know it. And we get formed by social media in this way. Somebody posts something on Facebook, has nothing to do with you. But all of a sudden, you just feel this righteous indignation. You have to leave a comment. You have to correct their theology. You have to correct their politics. You have to let them know how you feel about the election. You know what I'm saying? Like, you react. That is the result of consumerism and not contemplation. Because contemplation is when we're shaped in a place, not by, you know, acquisitive, angry, arrogant prayers, but we're shaped in a place of simply beholding God in a place of peace as our true selves. We're not angry, we're content, and we're restful. And that's the kind of prayer that Elijah learned how to pray as he stepped out of the cave and he realized that God was in the wind. Now, God spoke through the fire a lot. I mean, if you look at Elijah's life, he would have grown up as a prophet in Israel, understanding that God spoke through fire all the time. I mean, rewind back to the father of faith, Abraham. Here's God coming in the fire as he's walking through Abraham's sacrifice. He knew that God spoke through fire. Let's look at Moses, man. You know, he encountered God in the burning bush in fire. It's amazing, right? It's incredible. And, uh, you know, he... Heard the stories of how Israel was led in the Exodus uh, through the desert by a pillar of fire. You can see fire all throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament. I mean, look at Acts chapter 2. Cloven tongues as a fire set up on each of them, right? We know that God uses fire as an expression of His presence and His power. And Elijah was very aware of that. And whenever God came down and consumed the sacrifice in front of the 450 prophets of Baal, he was like, that's my God. Fire. You know, he, he, was, he was happy about it. He was excited about that. And he was used to that. He anticipated that. He expected that. He had learned how to discern the voice of God through the fire, through God's power, through displays of his power. And I think for most of us, especially for most of us who've grown up charismatic or Pentecostal or in a spirit-filled environment, we are so used to God showing up in fire. You know, powerful demonstrations of God's spirit, like fire, woo, woo. You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, so we're always asking God, send the fire, baptize us in the fire, you know, which Jesus said that he would do. But I really think that what God's wanting us to do as a church, if I could say this, I think that, you know, the fire is awesome. We're always going to see the fire. But I think God wants to teach us a deeper way of hearing his voice, which is not just in the fire, but it's in the whisper. As you mature, did you know this? As you mature, the way that you eat changes. You know what I mean? I have a two year old little boy. And a year ago, he did not eat what he eats today, all right? A year ago, he made, ate some avocado, you know, maybe he, he ate some blueberries or something like that. Last night, he was eating steak. 
all right? Little small chunks of steak, but nonetheless, it was steak, right? Now, he's probably not going to eat the way he does today at two, at 32, right? Because as he matures, his capacity and his ability to feed himself is going to change, amen? Right? And so as we grow, as we mature, as we grow into new seasons with God, I believe that the way he feeds us changes. I believe that we learn to discern his voice through different expressions, that we start to see him differently. We start to see how he wants to feed us differently. And we recognize that it's not always just in the loud commandment, but it's also in the quiet whisper. As a kid, I command, you know, for, 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 for Isaiah, I command him. I give him rules. I tell him yes, and I tell him no. I tell him where to go. I tell him when to sleep. I tell him when to wake up because he's two. He's immature. Yeah. And a lot of us, you know, we're 28 in the spirit, and we're still asking God to tell us, hey, just tell me where to go. Just tell me when to get up. Just tell me what kind of clothes to wear. Just, you know, say, God, treat me like I'm a kid again. And he's saying, you're a full-grown adult. I'm not going to give you the same commandments. I might give you suggestions, but the reality is I trust you. I've, I've nurtured you. I've grown you up. It's time to eat differently. It's time to act differently. It's time to live differently. I've instilled a value system of the kingdom of heaven on the inside of you. And now as a mature disciple, I want you to make decisions because you you are an expression of my beauty to the world. And it's not always about having a word from God, but it's about living out of the kingdom values that you've received as being nurtured by God in a place of his presence and contemplation to understand what he's really wanting to do and say. As you grow, you will change. The way that you eat will be different, right? And God's not always wanting to send the fire and give you an encounter that would cause you to roll all the way down this floor. And if you do that, that's fine with me as long as it's not too distracting after some time. You know, after a little while, I'm going to say, okay, okay, it's time to get up. Two or three rolls. Okay. You know, that's enough. Okay, you can do the rest at home. But see, the whisper implies intimacy. So I don't whisper in the ear of strangers. I, I don't. I mean, that would be really weird if I did that. You know, there's a lady in the grocery store. You know, she's in line ahead of me. Hey. Just, that's, that's weird. All right. That's strange. That's very strange. That's, that's very weird. I should never do that. You should never do that. All right. Never, ever, ever do that. All right. But the whisper, it implies intimacy. You know, I whisper in the ear of my family. I whisper in the ear of my wife. You know, she whispers to me. You know what happens when people whisper? Oftentimes they're sharing secrets. They say, hey, this is just for you. That's why I'm whispering. And we're so used to hearing God through the word on Sunday. We're so used to hearing God through a podcast. We're so used to hearing God through the Bible. But I really feel like God wants to speak to us in a deeper way. As individuals and as a church, he wants to whisper his secrets into our ear. And what's going to be required is that we stop responding and behaving like consumers alone and move into a place of contemplation where we rest and set with God and we're properly formed to be like him. We're not formed enough by prayer, but prayer is actually the first place that we're supposed to be formed in. Once more, in the American context, I believe that we are formed uh, by three different things primarily. So just stay with me just for a few more minutes, and Nick, you can play, bro. So, that was amazing. Uh, in, in America, we're primarily formed by three things, and this is my opinion, but 
Preaching is number one. If you've been a Christian for a few years, you've heard probably about 10,000 sermons. You know, because you've heard them in person, you've heard them at conferences, you've heard them on podcasts, and you've read books. Okay, I'll include books and blogs into that. But like you've probably heard about 10,000 messages, and we're primarily formed by preaching, all right? But also, not just preaching, uh, but programs. We're formed, we're formed by programs, right? Ministry programs that the church creates for us to participate in. And in the midst of those ministry programs, not bad things, but in the midst of those ministry programs, we're shaped, we're formed, right? And the third thing that I think that Christians in the West are primarily formed by is protest. The things that we're against. Well, as a Christian, I'm against that. And that's what gives me my identity because I'm against that. That is wrong and I'm against that. And we're formed by that because that takes, that creates part of our identity. You know, we were formed by preaching, we're, we're formed by programs and we're formed by protest. But the truth is, is that the primary purpose of formation for the Christian is in a place of prayer. Is in a place of not just consuming and reading and listening and trying to get all the information that you can as quick as you can so that you can get bigger than the person next to you, you know, but it's in a place of contemplation, of sitting and resting and being at peace with yourself and with God and listening to Him as He shapes your life. And I want you to know that's going to take a little time. It's going to take a little time. That's why patience is a fruit of the Spirit. You won't have it unless you get into the Spirit. Wow. You know, you, you, you're rushing. You're, you're, you're in a hurry. Everything has to happen in a year. Everything has to happen in two years. Every, everything has to happen in five years. But in, on God's timeline, you know, He just sees His relationship with you as forever. So what's a year? You get eternity with Him. He's going to be shaping you and forming you into His image for all of forever. Not just the rest of your life, because that's how much He loves being involved in you. No, I got to get something out of this. You know, the master potter, He knows how to impress us. He knows how to form us. He knows how to shape us. And when it comes to prayer, you know, knowing why we pray does not equal motivation to pray. So this is, you know, this may not give you energy to pray. This may not give you passion to pray. This may not give you impartation to pray and leave here and start to pray like a maniac, you know, from here on out. But what I hope that it does is it gives you instruction to know that if you would like to pray, you can make that choice to stay on the potter's wheel and be shaped and be formed by him in such a way where prayer is no longer an obligation. Prayer is a passion. Oh, I love this. This is amazing. It hurts when you stick your thumb in that place that I've really just, I've hated that person. But see, when we don't pray, we don't see other people rightly. Because we don't see them as human beings. We don't recognize our humanity in them. We don't see our similarities. We just look at them as though they're another person that is different than us, that is not like us, and that is enemy. They are enemies. And without the proper perspective, we just don't see them rightly, which is why we have to pray, which is why we have to contemplate, because we start to get God's perspective on other people. There's been so many times I've been on my way to a lunch to confront somebody because I'm angry with them. 
like, oh, they're toast. I got them. I got them right where I want them. I got the goods on them, man. They're in my crosshairs. You know, I'm looking at them through the scope. And then I think to my, I should probably pray first. You know, get some grace on this conversation. Gotta get, I gotta get God's favor on it, you know, so I don't look too bad, too mean, so they don't leave the church. And then as I'm on my way there, God starts speaking to me about them. Not about the situation, but about them and about how He sees them. And then it changes my whole conversation because what was anger then turns to compassion. And I think, man, they're just a human like I'm a human. And maybe I don't agree with that decision, but man, like we're all frail. We're all weak. None of us are perfect. None of us get it right 100% of the time. Like, and then I sit down with them and instead of yelling at them, I say, man, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? You and I, we're just alike. We're dependent upon the same Jesus. You struggle here. I struggle here. without the proper perspective we don't see other people rightly because we see people through the scope and not through prayer I want to share with you guys just a quick story and this is something that Brian Zahn actually shared at prayer school and I think it was so good I have to, I just have to share it before I close um, he, he spoke about a rabbi there, there was a rabbi he was it's an older story he's an ancient uh, figure and um, he asked his students one day, how do you know, like, how do you know when night has become day? Like, how do you know that? How do you discern when night has become day? Like the sun is rising, but what is the very moment that you know when night has become day? What is that? What is that moment? And they said, oh, well, is it when you can distinguish like a fig tree from an olive tree? Like, is that when night becomes day and he said no that's not it and then another student he said oh is it when you can de- determine the difference between a dog and a, and a and a sheep is that is that is that when night becomes day and he said no he said when night becomes day is when you can look in the face of another person and acknowledge them as your brother or your sister because that's whenever you've been transformed to darkness into light And you don't have that perspective aside from a place of prayer. Because as long as we're prayerless, we'll see the other other people as enemies. But when we're prayerful, we'll see them as brothers and we'll see them as sisters. And that's required if we're going to do works of justice, works of mercy, righteousness. If we're going to change Nashville, we can't just look at Nashville as a bunch of people who are testimonies on two legs. Or, you know, stats to pad our, our religious belt loops and say, oh, look at us. We have this big church. Look what we did. If we don't see people rightly, we'll never, we'll never do anything that amounts to anything in the kingdom of God, no matter how big our church gets. Okay, stand up. I got to close. It's time to go. If you liked it enough, you can just come back for the 11. I'll preach it again. All right. differently who knows awesome so just put your hand on your heart real quick and I'll Erica you can go ahead and come on up Erica's going to close this uh, down but uh, we just bless every single person here in Jesus name 
if you in here, if you've been struggling to pray, if you've been struggling to find the passion to pray or the zeal to pray, could, 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 could you just receive right now a grace to pray? Jesus prayed all the time and he struggled in the same way that we struggle. And if he can do it, you can do it because you have his spirit living on the inside of you. So Jesus, we ask for grace to pray. We ask for grace for perspective. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,